Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Genesis. We're going to go from chapter 23 to chapter 50 today. Y'all ready? 37 is where we're going to park in just a minute, so just find that place there. We are looking at the big picture. We have decided that it is one of those things that we need to do periodically is to step back and look at where we're going, where we've been in God's plan of redemption. It, to me, it's the difference in sometimes we study the Word of God and it's like reading that GPS that gives us those instructions. Back out of your driveway. Turn left for 400 feet. Turn right for 100 feet. You know, you know how to do that, right? Sometimes you just want to say, give me the big map. Oh, yeah, I'm going from my house to H-E-B. I can get there. The big picture. That's what we're doing. We're going from the beginning to the end of the Word of God. We have looked at how God created the universe and put man on this earth in his image to be a reflection of his glory. We've seen how man made this choice to to disobey God and to rebel against him and say, God, we don't want you to be Lord of our life. And, And how God revealed to them that that was sin and rebellion and how he came and gave his provision of a covering for, for their sin and, and showed them how they could come to worship him. And we show, saw how mankind continued to rebel and how God sent a flood to destroy all mankind, but, but that Noah and his family were there and that they were called to be the ones who would save a remnant. And then we saw how after that God called a man named Abram who later became Abraham, and he left his people, the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and and settled in Canaan. And and then the story unfolds how Abram gave birth to a son, Isaac, and we saw last week how God told him to be willing to sacrifice your only son, but ultimately uh, God stopped Abraham, and because of his obedience and his faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. That son, Isaac, grew up and had a son, Jacob, and the story of Jacob and Esau unfolds through the book of Genesis, but we're going to fast forward to where Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was named Joseph, and Joseph was given dreams and and visions, this special sense of God's presence in his life, and and Joseph knew that God was going to do great things with him, so like like little brothers will do, he went to his big brothers and said, nah, 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 God's going to do something special with me, you're all going to bow down to me one of these days. Maybe that was true, but he didn't need to tell his brothers that. And there was a rivalry that developed, and the story of Joseph and and his father Jacob and and his brothers is one of those great stories in the Bible that that would make just for great literature on its own, other than the fact that it's the truth of the Word of God, how the sibling rivalry started and how, how Jacob favored Joseph over the other children. And so one time Jacob sends Joseph out, not a smart move, to check with his brothers out there in the fields by himself to, to kind of check up on them, and as they see Joseph coming, they make this plan, let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of the dreamer. I'd like to have that as your nickname. Let's get rid of him. So they make this plan, and through a series of, of the brothers uh, arguing and, and what ends up happening, they, they make up a plan to, to, to lie to the father that, that Joseph has been killed by wild animals, and they take his cloak back, but a, a group of slave traders come through, and they sell Joseph to slavery in Egypt. And he goes into Egypt, and 
and he's a slave. But because of God's favor in his life, Joseph becomes the household servant of Potiphar, a very wealthy, influential man in Egypt. And he's given him all this responsibility and all this authority just because God's with him. But then Potiphar's wife seduces Joseph, and he's a godly man, so he runs from that. But she makes up a story about him, and he ends up in prison again. Tell you what, poor Joseph. His brothers didn't like him. They tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He finally works his way out of that, and then he's back in prison now. And he spends time in prison. And while he's in prison, Pharaoh's baker and cupmaker come into prison and and Joseph shares with them, they're, they're sharing about these dreams, and, and he interprets dreams, and, and it goes and it takes place. And, and Joseph says to the cupbearer and baker, remember me, especially the cupbearer, because the baker's prophecy was that he was going to lose his life. And for two years, he's forgotten. And finally, they come to Joseph and, and say, we, Pharaoh wants to hear how you interpret dreams. And he, he shares that God revealed to him, not himself, but God revealed to him the meaning of Pharaoh's dream. And and Pharaoh had this dream that there were going to be these lean years followed by, he didn't know this, but Joseph interpreted uh, plentiful years followed by lean years. And, and Joseph is given a place of prominence. He's, he's, he's given a place in the kingdom, where a kingdom of Egypt, where he's second in command only to Pharaoh. And God uses that and works all those details out to spare the people of God. So that's where we are today. But I want to take that story that I just shared with you, and I want to look at the life of Joseph and make some application for us, some principles, because we're, we're looking at the people of God and the purposes of God, but some principles from their lives. So y'all, you ready for the first principle? In the life of Joseph, God uses everything to shape us. God uses everything to shape us. Now, before I even begin to read the scripture, I want, I want you to think about everything. What does that include? Everything. Pretty good. That includes the good stuff in your life. We'll look at that in a minute. That includes the not so good stuff in your life. God uses everything. Let's look at Joseph's life in chapter 37, beginning in verse 23. We're just going to highlight a little bit. This tells the story of Joseph's brothers. Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped off his robe, a robe of many colors that he had on. Then he took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Skip on down. They argue and finally come up with this decision in verse 28. When the Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph is in that place where his brothers don't like him. They, like, they, they hate him, actually, and they want to do away with him. But fortunately, one brother steps in and convinces him not to kill him, not to leave him to die in the pit. God is using that in the life of Joseph. Because if you will look at verse 28, it says that those, those traders took Joseph to Egypt. Now, Joseph doesn't know this. Joseph's brothers don't know this. None of them know what God is going to do with the life of Joseph. But God knows. God knows what he's up to. God is using the circumstances of Joseph's life to shape him. He's learning what it, what it is to be humbled. He's learning what it is to be taken advantage of. He's learning what it is... To have to go into a new culture, and he does. He ends up there in Egypt. I want you to hold that place and look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. Now this is for believers. 
This is for people who have followed the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You have said, I make a commitment in my life to follow Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I receive him by faith. He is now Lord of my life. He is someone who has taken charge of my life. That's what a believer is. The Bible says we know that all things, there's that everything again, work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For he predestined, for he foreknew, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what God's word says about the stuff of your life, whether your name is Joseph or Kevin, whatever your name is, God says, I'm using everything in your life for my good and my purposes, and my purpose is to conform you to the image of Christ. That's what I'm doing, God says to us. That, that's, that's what my, my purpose is in your life. Everything, the easy stuff, the tough stuff. Go back to the book of Genesis with me, chapter 50. You might come back to this verse, but I want you to see this is the end of the story, but, but as, as this, this statement is made by Joseph, it reminds us of everything God's doing in his life. He ultimately says to his brothers, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Here's what Joseph says. Joseph had never read it because it hadn't been written. But God's going to use all things for his purposes. To work things out in my life for his ultimate will. You say it just doesn't look like it right now, but God's still at work. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's conforming you. What's he conforming you to? The image of his son. Basically, here's what God is doing. He's saying, I want to take you, believer, you Christ follower, and I want to chisel everything off of your life that doesn't look like Jesus. And by the way, the portrait of Jesus is not that picture hanging in a lot of Sunday school classrooms. You know, the guy with the long hair and the beard? That God's not trying to make you look like him. Okay? So relax, ladies. Okay? What God is trying to do is conform you to the likeness of his son, his character, his qualities, his values, his purity, his holiness. That's what God's using all that stuff for. Have you ever looked at a river rock? Usually when you say river rock, the first thing that comes to my mind is smooth and round. Right? Isn't that right? Or maybe smooth and oblong. How does that rock get that way? Well, they're made that way. You order them at Lowe's. <laughs> I would like a pallet of river rock, please. And they put it in the back of your truck and it bottoms out and you make it home. I thought river rock came that way. No, river rock starts off with sharp edges. Definitely not smooth, definitely not uniform. And because it's tumbled in a river, all that hard, uneven, rough, sharp stuff that's not round gets knocked off. Would you acknowledge that God, just like in the life of Joseph, wants to use the things of your life to make you more like Christ? See, you might as well acknowledge it because that's what he's doing. Isn't it a shame as, as even we go through scripture and look at some of the heroes of the faith, Abraham did it and and there were times when David did it where, where these godly men rejected God's prompting in their life. 
and they went their own way, and God had to work even harder to transform them. Don't fight him. Don't, don't say, God, I don't want to be a river rock. I don't want to be like Christ. When I was a kid down the street, uh, one, of, uh, one of my friends lived next door to a man that left his garage door open all the time, and there was this noise that came out of his garage. I could hear it when I'd ride my bike down the street. And I'd get closer, and the noise got louder and louder. And I looked in there, and I found out later by going to see the guy that he, that was a rock tumbler. And he was taking rocks that weren't real smooth and pretty, and he was putting them in there, and they made this, that, that, just a terrible noise. And I asked him how long he'd leave them in there. He said, well, as long as they need to be in there. So they get polished, just like I like them. Would you just step back and say, God, go ahead and tumble me? See, we just sang, and I, I, I didn't because Andy wouldn't have appreciated it, but I almost stood up and said, let's stop right there and look at that phrase. <laughs> wait, 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 this one right here will fit perfect because we stand up and we sing, God, we want you to reign in me. We want you to be glorious. We want you to have your will. There is none but you, Lord Jesus. And then he starts working in our life and we say, no, I'd rather do it my way. What do you think God thinks about that? For us to open our mouths in praise and say, Lord, you, you have us. Here we are. We're yours. And then he says, okay, let's start doing something about that. And you say, no, thank you, Lord. It's too difficult. It's too tough. I don't want to go there. God uses all things to shape us. Number two, God is still there even when it looks like he isn't. God is still there even when it looks like he isn't. Look at chapter 39 now. Still tracking through Joseph's life. I mentioned him being in the house of Potiphar. In chapter 39, verse 2, as, as the story is told, there's just a, a, a phrase that is so incredible. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of the Egyptian master. The Lord was what? With Joseph. Skip down with me and look at verse 21. This is after Joseph is falsely accused. This is after Joseph is sent to prison for something he didn't do. The Bible says, but the Lord was what? With Joseph. Extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, can I, can I just say that the first phrase of both of those verses is, was truth for Joseph, whether or not the last phrase was good? Let, let me give you an example. The Lord was with Joseph, but he got sold into slavery. God was with him, right? The Lord was with Joseph, and he got accused of a crime that he didn't commit. God was still with Joseph. Whatever you want to fill in the last part of that phrase, I thank God when he's with me and things do go well. I thank God when, when, when it could be said of me, the Lord was with Kevin and what he did prospered. I like that, but you, you got to see this. The Lord is with us no matter what. When you trust Christ as personal Savior, he comes to live within you in the person of his Holy Spirit. He, he comes, the, the word for Holy Spirit basically is one that comes alongside you. And he's there, he's with you. You don't drop him off at church when you leave on Sunday morning and pick him back up when you show up the next week. Did you hear that? Th that means that when I walk out of this building... 30, 40 minutes, an hour from now. <laughs> when I walk out of here, the Lord Jesus walks out with me. 
When I have stuff that goes on in my life during the week, when I get bad news, the Lord is with me. When the bottom falls out and somebody just yanks the carpet out from under my life, the Lord is with me. See, God is orchestrating something. As Joseph said in chapter 50 at the end of the story, God was using all this to preserve a people. God is there even when it seems like he isn't. I love the story. This goes back to many, many years ago and before power uh, in churches and they had the pump organs where somebody had to pedal the pedal, you know, to, somebody had to just actually work it like that. And there was a concert going on. They did that for years in churches. They would do these big concerts and, and the, there was a kid working on the pumps of the pump organ and he's got it going so the, thing, the bellows can fill with air and man, they're just the pipe organs making all this beautiful music and when it's all over, the people clapped and they were going to take an intermission and and the little boy that was doing the pump organ says to the organist, boy, they really liked us, didn't they? And the organist says, what do you mean, us? I was the one playing. So the intermission was over, and they got back in their places, and the organist sat down at her organ, and she got ready to go, and she waited, and nothing happened. And she finally looked around at the kid, and, and she gave him this dirty look. She gave him the eye, and he said, are we ready now? <laughs> See, folks, you may think that you're running your life, but you're not. And if you are a follower of Christ, you must acknowledge moment by moment that he's working the pedals, that he's giving you your life. God is there even when it looks like he isn't. Number three, while we are waiting, God is working. While we are waiting, God is working. Chapter 41. Verse 8. Joseph's in prison now. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guard. And he and I had dreams on the same night and each dream had its own meaning. And this cupbearer remembers, now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards was there with us. We told him our dreams and he interpreted our dreams for us and each had its own interpretation. Basically what happens is the cupbearer gets out of prison and remembers there is a guy in prison. His name is Joseph, and at least two years had gone by from that point. And he says, I remember this guy that interpreted dreams. So what's happening? Joseph is in prison, waiting. It's debatable what the actual uh, the, the chronology of, of a number of years are here. Some people say that he's in Potiphar's house for five years, and then he was only in prison for a few years, at least two. Others say he was in prison most of that time. I don't know. We just know that about, about 13 years of, of Joseph's life go by as he's in Egypt there. And we know at least two of it is him waiting on God to do something. Because he says to that cupbearer, remember me when you get out of prison, and he forgets him. But then he remembers, and he brings the word to Pharaoh. God is working while we are waiting. See, it's, it's what God does behind the scenes most often in my life that seems to make the difference. Have you noticed that? When, when you finally step back with hindsight and you say, wow, now I can see what was going on. Now I can see why God allowed that. 
Now I can see why God placed that person there. Now I can see why I struggled in that area because I can see the big picture, what God was doing. But here's the deal, folks. We don't get that picture while we're going through it, while we're waiting. So here's faith. By faith, we trust that God is at work behind the scenes. By faith, we trust that God is at work behind the scenes. A while back, some members of our church gave us tickets to go to the river dance. And uh, we went to Corpus Christi in the Selena Auditorium there, and, and there's this big blank empty stage. And I'm wondering, you know, how many people are going to come out doing their, you know, all that stuff they do? That's about all I can do. And when the music starts, and they come out from both sides, it just blew me away. It was incredible what was going on behind the scenes, those people getting ready to march out and show us this show. I thought, and as I watched them, I thought, I can't believe all the preparation that they must go into to be so synchronized. And then the instrumentalist just blew me away. I thought, what, what an incredible show. It was awesome. But what I saw when I sat down there on the stage didn't reflect any of that until the curtain opened and they came out. Folks, God is back there. He's preparing great, big, mighty things for your life. And yes, it may be like Joseph that finally you get exalted, but it may be that you stay like Joseph did in prison, but it's going to be God doing good things for you because he wants all things to be used for your good and for his glory. Can you trust him? While you're waiting, God is at work behind the scenes. Number four, another lesson from the life of Joseph that is so powerful, past offenses are best forgiven. It is best for you to forgive those who have offended you. Now, we could sit here this morning and you could tell me your stories. And some of you, I've heard some of your stories. And, and, I, and I just say to you, I can't imagine having gone through that. So there are some of you here with those kind of stories. Many of us look at the life of Joseph and say, well, my brothers haven't tried to kill me. <laughs> I haven't spent a long time in slavery. I haven't been taken away from my family and sent to a foreign country. I haven't been wrongly accused of a crime. So we can't quite relate, but let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if it's as great as what Joseph went through or what you've gone through. When someone hurts you and offends you, the best thing that you can do for you is to forgive. Look with me. Chapter 45 now. Joseph's brothers are brought to Egypt, not knowing that Joseph is now the second in command in Egypt. Now Joseph has been put in charge of all the grain, of all the harvest of Egypt, and he's put it in storehouses. And now the rest of the world is coming to Egypt because there's there's famine everywhere. And so as these brothers, their father sends them, go to Egypt because there's grain there. As they go to buy grain, they have no idea that Joseph is going to be the one who encounters them, and he does, and he knows it's them, but he looks like an Egyptian now, and he speaks Egyptian, and it's been many years. They don't recognize him. He doesn't look anything like a Hebrew sheep herder, so they don't know it's Joseph, but he catches on that it's them, and through this process of, of interacting with them and sending them back, and, and I, you know, I just, I just think it's interesting how Joseph was. He, he, he played with them for a while. He kind of toyed, and I think what he was doing was wanting to see if they were really sincere when they finally realized that they've done wrong. But look at chapter 45. 
This is when Joseph finally reveals his identity to them. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I and Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. He just reminds them, I'm the one that you sold into slavery. And their response in verse 3, actually in verse 1, well, where is it? It's verse 3 there. They were too terrified to answer him. Their response there is, oh no, he's going to get us now, right? Now, don't answer out loud, okay? But if you had been Joseph, would you have let him have it? How many years has he been waiting to get back at them? How many years has he been waiting for that moment where he'd be able to tell them, I'm still alive, I'm still here? Look at verse 5. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Verse 15, Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterward his brothers talked with him. There was intimate fellowship with these guys. I tell you what, every time I read this story, God just grips me with how his grace enabled Joseph to forgive these guys. It's clear from the story that Joseph didn't spend those years saying, I can hardly wait to get back at them. I believe Joseph spent those years saying, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I can't wait to see how you work this all out. Do you think maybe Joseph had prayed, God, give me an opportunity to show those guys it's okay, to show those guys that I trust in a God who's bigger than they are. God, give me an opportunity to let them know that I trust you. And he forgave his brothers Past offenses are best forgiven. Now, I don't understand everything there is to know about forgiveness, but, but this is my simple understanding. It's a biblical command. I am to forgive as Christ forgave me, and that's unconditionally. Some say we're supposed to forgive and forget like God did. I don't, I don't know that we can do that. I believe that it's healthy to forgive and remember some things to remember that that what God had done was for his glory, to remember that God used it, to remember some things. See, when we're told to forgive and forget, sometimes by forgetting we're supposed to think that what the person did to us wasn't wrong. And we excuse their behavior. We can't do that. We're to forgive, but we're to be wise enough to remember, I'm I'm not going to let that happen again. 
Maybe I need to protect my family from someone. Maybe I need to protect myself. I don't need to forget the offense, but I should no longer hold it over the person. Does that make sense? See, forgiveness means I will no longer hold this against you. You may not be allowed to come in my house because you hurt my children, because I'm not going to forget that, but I will not hold it over you. Does that make sense? If a person comes up to me and says, Pastor Kevin, so good to meet you, and while they're shaking my hand, they stomp on my foot, and they say, oh, I'm sorry, didn't mean to do that, and I say, I forgive you. And then they come up to me again, second time, hey, Pastor Kevin, good to meet you. They stomp on my foot again, oh, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. This is only going to happen a couple of times, right? (laughs) I'm still going to forgive them, but I'm not going to let them step on my foot again. Are you following me? I think sometimes we misunderstand. Now, here's another thing about forgiveness that, that I do know, and I believe it's biblical. It is a choice that I make, but it may take a while. Time doesn't heal all wounds. The process may bring me through the steps of healing, but just because I go by through time, it doesn't mean I'm going to heal. Uh, you talk to anybody who's been hurt as a child and that they've still got it, it shows you that time doesn't heal. What heals? The decision to say, I'm not going to let that be in control of my life anymore. I'm not going to hold on to that so much that it, that it controls me, whether it's shame or guilt or whatever. I'm not going to hold on to it. I make a decision that I'm going to forgive, and then I work through the process of forgiveness. There may be anger involved. There may be grieving involved. There may be sadness. There, there may be all kinds of things, but it is a process that we go through once we make the decision. Go with me. Joseph, by the grace of God, I think he processed this before he saw them. I don't believe Joseph had to say, guys, I'm your brother, and I'm going to try to, from this moment on, work through forgiveness. I believe Joseph had already worked through it because he goes to these guys, and he embraces them, and he kisses them. I don't know what there is that's in your life that you're having trouble forgiving. I don't know who it is, but everybody seems to have something or somebody. My my encouragement to you today is make the choice to forgive. Doesn't mean you condone what they did to you. Doesn't mean that, that, that you're any better than them or they're any better than you. It just means that you're not gonna let that keep you in bondage anymore. See, there's this incredible picture here. Joseph was in bondage, but even in that physical prison, he was being set free from the hurt and the guilt and the pain and the bitterness. See, anything that happens to you can either make you better or bitter. Maybe today, some of you just need to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm willing today to say, I want to take that step toward forgiveness. You might need to get help doing that. You might need a godly Christian friend or even a counselor to walk you through that process. But that's the only way to move on with your life to find freedom. Corey Ten Boom wrote the book The Hiding Place. It was made into a movie. She was uh, uh, put into a Nazi concentration camp because her family had helped the Jews. And, And years after the war, she was speaking at a conference and a man came up to her at the end of that conference to shake her hand, and she immediately recognized him as one of the guards in the concentration camp. She knew him. And she had, at that moment, she said, I had a decision to make. Was I going to hold this over that man, or was I going to be like Christ was to me, willing to forgive? Folks, there is freedom in forgiveness. There is bondage in holding on to it. You need to let it go like Joseph did. Number five, 
God wants to lavish his grace on us. God wants to lavish his grace on us. We're not going to turn there, but Ephesians 2 speaks of the fact that God's grace is immeasurably given to us. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to do in your life what Joseph did in the lives of his brothers. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, he wants to say to you, it's okay. I know all the stuff you did. I know everywhere you've been. I know all the stunts you've pulled. But I love you anyway. That's what he wants to say to you. He wants to say, if you will come to me by faith and turn your life over to me, I will lavish you with my grace. That's what God wants to do in your life. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. There is no one who has ever lived who has done something that the grace of God cannot forgive. That's what makes it super abundant grace. He wants to lavish it on you today. I wonder how many of us today would have to say, God, because you've lavished your grace on me, I need to be forgiving for someone else, of someone else, and I need to just let them know that I forgive them. Let God lavish his grace on you today. I met a young man when I was a single adult. We'll call him Tom because he looked like Tom Selleck. And he came to our group, and he literally was one of those guys that all the, all the girls fell in love with immediately. And as I began to get to know Tom, I found out that he had lived that lifestyle of just nothing but pursuing everything that that good looks had brought him. And all the immorality associated with that. And we shared with him, God's grace is great enough to forgive you for all that stuff. God's grace is sufficient. No matter what you've done, you can give it to him. And Well, he struggled with that when he was with us, but he came back from a road trip one time and told us, he said, I, I did it. You could tell something was different about him. You could see it in his face. He said, there in my hotel room, I gave it all to God. I said, Lord, everything that I've done, I ask you to forgive me and come into my life and save me. And he did. And we watched God lavish his grace on that young man who was set free from the guilt and the shame of the life that he'd lived. God wants to do that in your life. As we conclude this morning, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. We're going to pray in a minute and we're going to have our time of commitment. A worship team's going to come here in a minute. We're going to sing. And I don't want you to be thinking this thought. I don't want you to be thinking, I need to make a decision. But if I go there and get on my knees, they're all going to be watching me. And they'll wonder what's gone on in my life. Okay, don't think that thought, all right? Don't think that. I want us just to worship God. And if God speaks to your heart about someone who needs forgiveness and you need to be on your knees asking God to give you that heart, if maybe there's an, an issue in your life and you just need to say, God, today I take a step toward moving toward that forgiveness, or maybe you just need to come and get on your face before God and say, God, I, I thought you ruled and reigned in my life, but I guess you don't because I've been fighting you every inch of the way. Or maybe as, you, as we sing this morning, you need to come and just say, Pastor, today's the day I need to open my heart to Christ. 
and trust in the Savior. You come right now. Let's pray together.